Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Since 2008, Japan's population has been on the decline, and each year the amount it falls by grows larger and larger. In 2008, the country lost around 20,000 people. In 2010, 100,000. And by 2019, that figure stood at over half a million. The most recent data, released earlier this month, shows that in 2021, Japan lost more than 640,000 people. This week on Deep Dive, Japan Times staff writer Alex Martin joins to discuss Japan's declining population and why one town in Saitama thinks it's not all bad news. Alex Martin, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you for joining me again. Thanks for having me, Oscar. So last week, annual statistics were released by the Ministry of Internal Affairs and Communications, detailing Japan's latest population data. And the headline figure from that is that Japan lost a record number of people. It lost 644,000 people between October 2020 and October 2021, which is a vast number of people. Could you break down the statistics for me? Sure. So、um, as of October 1st last year, Japan's population fell to approximately 125.5 million people, which is down by、uh, 644,000 from the year earlier. And that figure is roughly the same population as Kumamoto City or, or Okayama City,、uh, or the population of Luxembourg. And this is the 11th consecutive year that the population fell, but this was the record number.、Mm-hmm. And was this decline just due to the difference between the number of births and deaths in Japan? Well, that's definitely the most significant part of it. That's succeeded births by、uh, 609,000 in that time period. But there's also the impact of the pandemic, obviously, and、uh, Japan's closed borders, people not coming in. People leaving Japan also exceeded the number of people moving to Japan by 35,000.、Mm-hmm. And where is Japan experiencing this decline? Is it mostly in rural areas or is it in the cities? It's basically happening everywhere, even in Tokyo. But for the first time on April 1st this year,、uh, more than half of the、uh, over 800 municipalities in Japan were designated. By the government as、uh, either wholly or partially underpopulated. And of Japan's 47 prefectures, only Okinawa's population grew. And prefectures that had seen、uh, population growth in recent years also saw their populations fall, including Chiba, which is right next to Tokyo, Fukuoka, which is a big city, Kanagawa, you know, where there's Yokohama and Kamakura, the big cities, and even Saitama. So, we talked about this in the previous episode, but cities such as Osaka and Tokyo are also seeing、uh, population losses as people move to countryside areas. Mm-hmm. But this trend of people moving back to the country is still not enough to reverse the rural decline. Basically, yes, because if you think about it, it's the actual pie is shrinking. It's not certain portions of it, but the actual population of Japan is shrinking.、Mm. Before we continue talking about the country's declining population, could we talk a bit about how Japan actually got to this point, how its population became as large as it did? Right, so if we go back 200 years to the year 1800, this is during the Edo period, Japan's population was around 30 million back then, so one fourth of what we have now. But when the Meiji Restoration、uh, came in, in 1868 and Japan、uh, began modernizing and industrializing, that's when the population really began to expand much more rapidly. And then there was some slowdown during the periods of war, especially、uh, World War II. But by 1945, or the end of the Second World War, the population、uh, more than doubled to 77 million. This is Tokyo 1948. Vast, modern, thickly populated. How much do we know of Japan, whose economic and perhaps political life is bound up so closely with ours? Immediately after World War II, the population exploded, similar to other countries. So that was kind of the high point. 
But right into the middle of the 1970s, the population continued to really grow rapidly. To understand Japan, we must understand her people. They, not the politicians, are building the new Nippon. Tokyo is rebuilding. In 1974, the fertility rate dropped below 2.1. And it's an important figure because a fertility rate of 2.1 or 2.1 children per woman is what's considered the replacement level. But as soon as you drop below 2.1, the rate at which the population increases starts to fall. And that's what happened in 1974. Quite quickly, we start to see the rate of growth start to fall. The population grew by around 1.2 million in 1975, but by 1985, 10 years later, that had fallen to below 700,000. So Japan's population is still growing at this point, but the rate at which it's growing is starting to decrease. That's correct. So when did we see things actually start to turn around and start to decline? Well, the first year of negative natural change, which means more deaths than birth, uh, was actually 2005. But with uh, immigration, um, obviously, the population continued to increase until 2008. And that's the year uh, that the population of Japan peaked out. And it peaked at roughly 128 million, right? That's correct. And from there, we start to see the population actually go into decline. And this decline keeps getting bigger and bigger each year to where we are now, where Japan's lost 644,000 people over the past year. And this is projected to continue at an even greater speed. Um, the government estimates that figure to slide below 100 million in 2053. That's about, what, 30 years from now? Mm-hmm. Uh, before falling to 88 million in uh, 2065. Mm-hmm. How has Japan's demographic makeup changed over this same period? And how is that reflected in the latest data? Well, Japan's very famous for having the oldest population, which also means that the population has been graying really fast. The data released recently showed that the proportion of people aged 15 and 64, uh, they're considered working age, uh, stood at a record low of 59.4% of the entire population. Meanwhile, those aged 65 or older hit a record high of 28.9% of the population. And people aged 14 or younger accounted for a record low 11.8%. Okay, so the proportion of children in Japan's population really is incredibly low. We've got an upside-down population pyramid here. What's contributed to the low birth rate in Japan? Well, there's several factors involved here. Um, One is the lower infant mortality rates. More children were surviving infancy, so people had fewer children. Um, The other would be uh, increased uh, women's participation in the workforce. A woman find it less and less attractive to have children as it derails them from their career or life uh, opportunities. And also expectations still that uh, women do more of the child-rearing. That's very strong in Japan even now. Mm, So women are perhaps looking at what's expected of them if they want to have a career and what that would mean if they were to also have a family and finding that combination of pressures to be increasingly unattractive. Yeah, I think it's an extreme burden for for some people or actually many. Um, and then there's the, uh, the the angle of expense. Instability after the bubble pop meant that people didn't feel financially secure. I mean, Japan has been in either a recession or a deflationary situation for the past 30 years. I mean, finally, prices are picking up now, but that doesn't mean our uh, wages are going up. So Mm. it's a different story. (laughs) And also long working hours. Maybe not so much now, but uh, Japan's been really famous for their notoriously long working hours and commitment to uh, their offices. So that means there's little opportunity for family time or even to meet people, to have a family. Mm. And that also means reduced rate of marriage. And it's sort of like a self-reinforcing cycle. The lower the proportion of young people there are, the fewer people there are to actually have children. Mm. And this is reflected in the figure that you mentioned earlier, that those aged 14 or younger now make up just 11.8% of the population. So if we fast forward 10 or 15 years to when some of them might want to start having children, even if all of them did, there'll just be far, far fewer young people to actually have 
children. Right. So the pie is shrinking. You know, it's really easy to talk about this decline in the abstract. 644,000 people sounds like a lot of people. And as you said, it's roughly the same size as Luxembourg. But what does it actually look like on the ground when Japan is experiencing such a huge population loss? Right. I think, you know, if uh, any of us take a hike out in the mountains or in the countryside, I think we'll notice um, a lot of the villages are quite empty, sort of like ghost villages where uh, you only see very old people walking around, um, not that many young people nor kids, many abandoned homes. Um, they're called akia in Japanese. I think there's maybe about 8 million of those in Japan, and mm. they're projected to grow to at least 20 million. And the shatagai, it's basically these uh, shopping promenades in Japan uh, where they're all shuttered because there's not enough people to sort of take over these businesses or actually work. And when you look at the uh, sort of uh, ecological or environmental sort of aspect, the distance between human habitat and uh, animal habitat is really closing up because of this, perhaps. So you see a lot more bear encounters in uh, Hokkaido, for example. In Shichibu, where I often go up, this is uh, the countryside in Saitama, I see, you know, deers everywhere, deers, monkeys. They all come down, wild boars, you know, they uh, feed off uh, the local farmland. Still no wolves there. No wolves yet, but uh, <laughs> hopefully soon. <laughs> and then... Uh, you, Public transport, I think that's one of the issues that uh, we really need to deal with pretty soon. I think it was two weeks ago that J.R. West released expenses involved with about 30 uh, rail lines that they operate in the countryside, and they were all in the red. And they, I think they intentionally released this to sort of stir up a debate mm. with these municipalities because obviously they're a business entity. So um, if they can't maintain these rail lines, what are they going to do? And they need to discuss this with uh, local municipalities and villages and towns and figure out a way out. Right. And I guess this bleeds into other public services as well, where if you look at hospitals and the number of available doctors or how many older people need those hospitals, like it doesn't balance with the local public finances when you've got a very small working population there, but a, a high number of retirees or this growing population, as you as you described it. Yes, and Japan's healthcare system is very good, as you know, and it's basically coming off of our uh, tax money. Uh, there's the issue of pensions, there's the issue of healthcare, there's the issue of uh, fewer working people supporting the aging population. So if I reach you know 65 or 70 and my children reach a working age, I think the number of uh, workers supporting me would be uh, much lower compared to the current generation. You recently wrote a feature about depopulation for the Japan Times, which was titled, For Some Shrinking Towns in Japan, Depopulation Isn't All Bad News, which I definitely think is a more optimistic take on the declining population here. And for that article, you visited the town of Tokigawa in Saitama Prefecture. Can you just start by painting a picture of that town for us? What's Tokigawa like when you get there? Right. First off, I took a train from Tokyo. I uh, got off at a station called Ogawamachi, which is not a big town, but it's on a major train line. And I rented a car and drove about 15 minutes to Tokigawa. Tokigawa does have a train station, but uh, only one or two trains stop each hour. It's more like a village, I guess. Um, you don't see any malls. You see maybe a few convenience stores, a supermarket. There's a local clinic and there's a river running through it. It's the same name, Tokigawa, mm. uh, Toki River. It's a very sort of idyllic, laid-back, rural landscape that you can see pretty much anywhere in Japan, I think. So what's going on with this population? Is it following the same path as most other rural towns? Essentially, yes. Uh, its population has been falling. But over the recent past few years, I think, the, uh, the rate of decline has been gradually slowing down due to uh, more people moving into Tokigawa from outside, like Tokyo or elsewhere. 
Mm. And why have people been moving there? First of all, Tokigawa town office is apparently very lenient when it comes to new people living in their own community. I talked to a bunch of people who actually moved into Tokigawa, and they all say that, you know, compared to other sort of towns or cities, Tokigawa's bureaucracy is uh, much more flexible in terms of accommodating their needs. So mm. I think that's one aspect. The other is that it's relatively close to big cities. So I think the closest city to Tokigawa would be Kawagoe, which is a major city in Saitama Prefecture. It's obviously pretty close to Tokyo. It took me about 70 minutes from Tokyo to Tokigawa. So if people were living there and they needed to commute to a big city, they actually could. Or, and perhaps even now, uh, a lot of, a lot more people are doing uh, remote work. Mm. And, you know, that doesn't really uh, require you to be in any set location. However, you might want to see a client uh, here and there, or just to say hi, or ask, just go out into the city to have some fun. Tokigawa provides that kind of distance. It's, it's doable. So when you talk to people in Tokigawa, how do they feel about the depopulation of their village and how are they perceiving this problem? So one person I talked to was nonfiction writer uh, Norio Koyama. And he launched a campaign about two years ago under the banner called Toka Inaka. Tokai is city and Inaka is countryside. So it's sort of like a, a play on these two words. And basically the concept is, uh, you know, places like Tokigawa that's in relatively close proximity to big cities have the, uh, the advantage of luring people uh, back into their communities, especially now during the pandemic. Obviously, there needs to be a community. So I think that's the biggest aspect of what Japan needs to do in terms of uh, attracting people to the countryside, is that they need to have a, a strong community that is accommodating to outsiders. And I think that's what people living in Tokigawa are trying to do. Mm -hmm. How widely do you think the model of Tokigawa can be applied to the general situation in Japan? Is it just that they're just particularly friendly or they're particularly well positioned to be near Tokyo that allows them to have this stabilization of their population decline? Well, for this story in particular, I only focus on Tokigawa, but there are actually many municipalities out there that are trying different ways to sort of attract people. Some are betting on uh, startups. I think that's the case with Fukuoka, perhaps. Mm. Even in Yamagata, it's similar. In Suruoka, Yamagata Prefecture, that's where my mom comes from, by the way. They've sort of developed a sort of hub for startups, and they're offering subsidized homes and offices, and that's one way to do it. I think there are many different communities uh, trying out different ways to uh, attract people and retain people at the same time trying to promote their local attraction. But what's, I think the big debate that we need to think about is that, you know, population decline is inevitable in Japan. So mm -hmm. the point is not to increase your town's population. So one person I was talking to in Tokigawa said that, that's not the point, because if we see a population increase, that means we're draining other communities' populations, and that's not good for them. So the point is to sort of downsize in a sustainable manner. That's helping out everybody in the community without pushing people out. Mm. And I think that's the concept that not just Tokigawa, but uh, all the other communities in Japan need to embrace, I think, looking ahead. And I think that's the most healthy way to go about it. Mm. So it's kind of downsizing sustainably, working out what can be cut, where maybe things can be centralized so that there are still the access to mm -hmm. things like medical care and the shops that you need. Sure, sure. I mean, for the longest time, you know, I think success was measured by GDP and population growth has, has a direct impact on GDP. For example, what's that country, Bhutan? Yeah. A gross... Uh, gross happiness index. Right. So humanity in general, especially in a lot of developed countries, they need to take in a, a different philosophy in terms of, uh, what's happiness, what's well-being, you know, what's community, things like that. Mm -hmm. I guess more generally, I feel like one positive you could draw from the example of Tokigawa is that they've perhaps been forced to innovate slightly or forced to reconsider how to let locals move there. As you said, the bureaucracy is potentially relatively streamlined compared to other towns. 
But more generally, do you see potential positives to Japan's declining population? I think every country has a number that would balance out their resources and uh, sort of uh, needs. And I'm not sure whether 125 million people, and that's our current population in Japan, is the most desirable figure. Obviously, the infrastructure that uh, Japan developed over the years are made to entertain and maintain this population. But, I mean, you know, looking back at 1800, it was 30 million, right? It was a different world back then, obviously. Uh, we didn't have airplanes or all this technology. But then I think we need to ask ourselves, what's the right balance in terms of population, nature, space, infrastructure, everything involved? I get the feeling that, you know, there was just too many people around. I mean, this is this is my personal take. So yeah. don't you know? I'm not uh, an academic or anything. So I think, to a certain extent, the population falling could be beneficial. But then again, there's the economical aspect of that, and the aging population means there's less workers. So how to address that? Earlier you said that the government estimates that Japan's population will fall below 100 million in 2053 and then reach 88 million in 2065. What's being done at the government level to try and turn the tide? Or is there just a sense that, as you said, this population decline in Japan is just inevitable? Well, one thing is uh, fertility treatment. They're really expensive in Japan, perhaps they are also in other countries as well. But uh, starting April, public health insurance will reimburse 70% of the cost of uh, advanced fertility treatments as part of the government's attempt to uh, halt the decline. So maybe that could uh, perhaps boost the birth rate somewhat. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Tokyo also has a plan to pay couples 100,000 yen per baby that they have. It's not too much, but it always help, I guess. <laughs> and then matchmaking, I guess that's a big thing, especially during the pandemic pandemic when people are not going out college students are banned from doing these uh, outdoor curriculums or activities i think you know the main issue that came up was that people are just not meeting people so dating apps are really flourishing now i've never tried one myself uh, unfortunately but uh, i do have friends who got married through these dating apps so perhaps there's a way out in that sense hmm. i don't want to minimize the ivf subsidies because they sound like they could actually be incredibly beneficial to people who need that treatment but otherwise, those solutions feel a little bit like sticking plasters, especially when we've been talking about how overly long working hours or the expense of having children or expectations of women to juggle housework and a career have all contributed to a lower birth rate here. If the country can't actually improve its birth rates, what are some of the other ways it might be able to address its declining population? Well, I think the most straightforward way to boost population would be immigration. Um, however, Japan's been very averse to the prospect for a long time. Personally, I don't see the country opening up to a lot of immigrants um, in the near future. Under Abe, there's been a, a trainee scheme that's been launched, but this has also been sort of controversial in many ways. And especially during the pandemic, Japan's been, you know, the strict border controls, uh, people not coming in, actually more people going out. So in terms of the atmosphere or the environment to uh, accept immigrants, I don't see uh, Japan as being very opportunistic at this point. Mm -hmm. Do you think that might change going forward as they come to grapple with a declining workforce? Living here for 35 years, I don't see Japan accepting a huge number of immigrants not to say that, you know, they won't, but I cannot sort of envision many towns in Japan being populated by uh, immigrants in the near future. 
So maybe the answer is technology. You see a lot of uh, unmanned sort of convenience stores opening up. For old workers, there are these little robots that you can stick on your thighs to sort of help them move around. And a lot of the factory work and stuff like that are being streamlined by robots. So perhaps, you know, this is sort of like a sci-fi future. A lot of these tasks could be overrun by uh, machines and AI. (laughs) Yeah, but then... You know, for example, the Hokkaido bears, right? How are people supposed to sort of like stop that through automation? You can't make robots to go out and hunt these animals. I mean, I guess you could, but that's like, you know, it's going to take 50 (laughs) years from now. And I mean, you need real hunters and, you know, people to sort of protect uh, farming land. And, you know, even with uh, trees, the number of forestry workers in Japan has been declining uh, for a long time. And, you know, it's really seeking and needing young blood. So it's not just sort of like city living, um, but, you know, it's everything combined, the natural resources, the rivers, you know, there's so many dams in Japan, you know, it requires sort of uh, uh, sort of maintenance checks all year round, all these facilities. And I don't know if uh, robotics and AI and technology can actually cover all that. Mm. So what does Japan do then? If it is inevitable that Japan in 50 years time is going to have 30 million or 40 million less people, right? how do you maintain that infrastructure? How do you keep that going? Or is it just a case of letting it be reclaimed by nature? Or? Well, one popular idea that's been tossed around for a long time is to uh, sort of consolidate populations to certain towns or cities. You know, the issue right now is that there are many sort of genkai shuraku or rural towns that are about to disintegrate. And there might be like, you know, three or four households of uh, 70 or 80 year old men and women living there. Obviously, they don't want to leave their house. You know, mm. they've been living there for centuries. Perhaps their ancestors, you know, came from the same area. Convincing them of the merits of moving into a more populated area is very difficult, I think. But that, that's something that's mm. inevitable, perhaps, if the population is shrinking. Um, not asking them to move into the cities, but perhaps to a uh, neighboring larger community with, you know, a, a functioning transportation network and a hospital. And I think this kind of consolidation, if that if it happens all across the nation, then perhaps that's a way to go about maintaining well-being and you know, health care and all those uh, things that we need among these populations. Don't lose the rural countryside, but try to maintain it while sort of keeping communities intact by uh, trying to pull other people into the sphere, mm. regional spheres, would be perhaps the most uh, uh, logical way to go about it. Mm. Might one solution to the problem of a declining workforce actually be to reimagine and potentially redeploy the elderly population here in some way? Not by forcing them to work if they don't want to, but perhaps to fill more volunteer roles. Because, you know, when you look at Japan's elderly population, many of them are still incredibly energetic, incredibly mobile. You know, when I go into the mountains, I'm mainly joined by sprightly 70-year-olds who manage to keep up and then overtake me. So rather than sidelining them after retirement, could they take on more active community roles, for example? Sure. And I think that's what the Japanese politicians have been sort of really pushing for is to sort of raise the age limit of people working. And they've been employing a lot of policies directed towards that. And there is a huge potential there. At the same time, I don't think we should be pushing these older people to sort of uh, work at jobs, perhaps that they, they're not really interested in. Mm. Um, so it's difficult to strike a balance. But if, you know, people who have uh, special knowledge or some kind of skills that's useful and people who want to work uh, way past their uh, retirement age, that's definitely something that Japan should be pushing for. And I mean, if you go to the countryside, even still, if you know, if you look at farming villages, uh, you see, you know, Obachans and Ojichans in their 90s, they're still working. So it's for them, it's not a matter of, you know, retirement age or something. It's about their life, right? Mm. And uh, it's a natural thing for them to be working that way. I think it's a very sort of city, uh, urban 
idea that, you know, we work after graduating college or from high school to 65 and then we call it quits, right? I think it's an ingrained sort of a concept that capitalism in our society sort of ingrains into us. But if you look at it from a different perspective, you know, if you look at your life, let's say I'm living till 80 or 90, and think about the, the opportunities, you know, I think there's maybe many more creative ways to sort of employ that uh, manpower and skill set. Mm. Japan is probably 10 or 20 years ahead of many other developed countries when it comes to depopulation. But certainly when you look at the populations of other developed countries, there are an increasing number which are reaching that peak, top of the curve, starting to decline or about to decline. And, you know, if you look at Italy, South Korea, China, not too far in the future, they're all populations that are expected to decline and follow a similar pathway to Japan. Are there opportunities here for Japan to lead as it becomes the first country to really grapple with a declining population and set the blueprint for how to deal with a declining population in a, I guess, a sustainable way? Definitely, definitely. And I think that's what Japan's trying to do. As you say, you know, we're really far ahead in terms of uh, the demographic uh, situation here. So, you know, whether that be technology, robotics, AI, sort of that kind of field or more welfare kind of uh, way to sort of maneuver this, I think uh, whatever Japan does would be meaningful from, from the perspective of these countries that you mentioned perhaps even something like Tokigawa, if they can sort of export that idea to other shrinking nations, um, I think that could be a, more like a cultural export, perhaps. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Alex Martin, and I've put a link to his article about Tokigawa and its efforts to combat depopulation in the show notes. Also in the Japan Times this week, on Tuesday, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida unveiled a new package of economic measures worth about 6.2 trillion yen to try to reduce the impact of rising commodity prices. As part of the stimulus package, the government will spend 1.5 trillion yen to expand subsidies for oil wholesalers and 1.3 trillion yen to support low-income households with a 50,000 yen per child handout to all those who qualify. That story and all the latest news from Japan at japantimes.co.jp. That's it for this week's episode. We will be off next week for Golden Week, so there'll be no new episode then. I hope all of you listening in Japan get some time off to enjoy yourself. For those of you listening from overseas wondering what a Golden Week is and where you can get one for yourself, I'd recommend reading Russell Thomas's article about the history of Golden Week from a couple of years back. That article is linked in the show notes. Until next time, thank you for listening. And as always, Potskarisama. summer.